Welcome to another edition of the Trivelo Coaching Podcast. Unfortunately, this podcast experienced some audio issues. Fortunately, it's mostly when I was talking. So that means that the audio when Jared is talking, which is the most important part, is actually pretty good. You might just have to turn the audio up a little bit to make sure you hear everything clearly. On that note, this was one of the best podcasts we have recorded despite the audio problems, mostly because the advice given by Jared on time trials I think is absolutely world-class and it's one of my favorite ones I've done so far. So without further ado, enjoy the podcast. All right, hello and welcome to another edition of the Trivelo Coaching Podcast. Trivelo Coaching, where we specialize in helping cyclists and triathletes improve their performance and enjoy the sport while I'm with the mastermind behind Trivelo Coaching. Jared, how are you doing? Great, George. Thanks for having me on board. Well, it's uh, good to be back. We've had a, a bit of a break between podcasts, um, but we do plan to be back more consistently with podcasts because we know that everyone enjoys them and we've got um, a lot of exciting things coming up with what we want to talk about. And today, we're going to be talking about everything time trialing, the art of time trialing, because it is a specific art. So we're going to be covering how to train, how to perform in a time trial, uh, how to perform well on race day, the big do's and don'ts, and we're going to get into some nuggets that have helped multiple time trial uh, time trial athletes from Trivelo actually win the national championship. So it's going to be an exciting one. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And it is one of my passions, the time trial section of cycling. Um, it's a very unique and individual uh, part of cycling, unlike the other aspects of cycling, which is more related to bunch riding and tactics. Um, there are tactics in time trialing, but it is you against the clock. It is very unique and it's something that's become extremely popular. You know, almost every cyclist on beach road has a road bike and a time trial bike. So why do you think this is? Um, yeah, I think possibly people really do like to see themselves against others, whereas in a road race or a criterium, you're really in a bunch situation and there's so many variables that can change the outcome, whereas in a time trial, generally the best rider will win. So that's actually one of the things that is appealing to people, that they actually get to find out where they sit in the, the ladder of uh, first to, to last. Um, so it's really, you know, everybody knows what it stands for. You're riding against the clock and the fastest person is the winner. And, um, you know, how you get from the start to the finish um, is a lot more involved than most people think. So why do you love them? You say that you have a big passion for them. Why do you love them? I suppose my triathlon background where you you are actually time trialing in a triathlon um, and I just like to take out the, all the variables um, that can happen that you might uh, be in a wrong position in a bunch, uh, be, uh, you know, crashed, someone crashes in front of you. There's so many things can happen in an in a actual road race and that also is appealing to others as well because you have to actually manage a road race so much more with sophistication compared to a time trial where you just go as hard as you can for as long as you can um, to a degree. Yeah. Um, so I think I think the pure, uh, uh, there's no other variable except your performance. It can't be influenced by what someone else did. And I think that's what attracts me to um, to the time trialing. It's it's unique in its, in its uh, entirety. So I see a lot of people love the speed aspect of time trial and the fact that you can get a really good bike and you can go 40 plus kilometers an hour and just feel like you're flying. I'm sure that's a big reason why it's popular. Yeah, that is absolutely. Um, you, you can just, for the same power output, comparing a road bike to a time trial bike, you can go so much faster and 
you know, we're still kids at heart. We love to do things at, you know, max speed. So that, uh, that's the adrenaline rush is, uh, and it's so much fun riding past people, you know, 10 kilometres an hour faster than they're riding. Um, yeah, definitely uh, that's an attraction is to, is to, you know, get on your bike and ride as fast as possible. And part of that attraction is uh, the... It's its own sport, really, the individual time trial, but the team time trial aspect as well, which is, comes in training and getting to do a race. And we won't go into the team time trial racing today. Um, that is another uh, factor that people love to do. Um, but let's get into it in terms of the individual TT, uh, time trial training, and then preparing for ideally a race. Not everyone that trains is preparing for a race, but most people are either doing individual time trial or doing it in a triathlon of some sort. Yeah, and time trialing people think should be very unique and specific, but it's it's only got a little bit of tweaking to do from normal cycling training. Um, obviously, you need to have good threshold, a good motor, um, and it's not all about um, hard, high-intense bursts uh, with recovery, which is what cycling's more about. Um, time trialing is being able to sustain an effort and I think that's actually one of the things that attracts people is how long can I sustain this high high effort for um, and yeah the training side of time trialing has to have what the race requirements are and that is you riding as high a power as you can for as long as you can repeatedly um, with no no rest and and that takes people away from the sport as well because, oh, stuff that, it's just too hard. Mm. And, you know, you have to have a really good mental uh, approach to to putting yourself into, through some pain for a long period of time. Um, and, you know, some people love it. Um, I certainly, um, it's a great test of, of, uh, of understanding your numbers and executing um, them in a in an event, and as as we'll talk about uh, in a moment, there's a whole lot of things that come into um, getting the right outcome. So is that a mistake a lot of people make? Is that they get too TT focused and try and do too many TT sessions when you you don't need to tweak it that much? Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, if you look at the the professionals, the best tour riders are the GC guys, and guess what? They're the best time trialers as well. They may not be the best sprinters, but they are everything except for that. They are really good climbers, really good time trialers. They can go solo, they can attack, they can roll turns. They may not be the best sprinter, but that's about all they're not good at. Mm. Um, so you don't see a lot of uh, tour riders, professionals, spending all of their time just doing time trialing yeah. because they need to be uh, good at almost everything to be a good GC rider. But they're the best time trialers at the end of the day, and it's really because they're doing a lot of climbing, a lot of strength work, which is very similar to what you do as a time trial, holding threshold for long periods of time, which is what hill climbing is. Mm. Um, so it's no coincidence that the best hill climbers are the best time trialers. So, you know, specific things that you should be doing as a time trialer is lots of threshold work, and whether it's on a TT bike or whether it's on a mountain, They've both got the same uh, benefit, and you actually become a better bike rider if you do some of them in the hills. Um, so that when you do some road races that have hills in it, you can use that advantage that you've got where you can ride threshold for a long period of time um, against guys who are so used to just uh, effort recover, effort recover, which is what criterium racing or or road racing um, is. You know, hiding, 
protecting yourself and giving one or two or three big efforts to try and break up the bunch and attack. Um, whereas, you know, for time trialing, that's just not important mm. at all. So based on that, how many TT specific sessions would you do a week? Because you, you said you need to do those long sustained threshold efforts either on a TT bike or in the mountains or something like something similar. Yeah, well, the more times you ride the TT bike, whether you're doing a general cycling session or not is important. So spending time on the TT bike. So if you, a lot of our program doesn't repeat sessions, that's one of the things that we really uh, want to make sure people understand. You wouldn't want to be doing four threshold sessions a week to be a better time trialist. You actually won't be better if you do that. You need to do a combination of um, obviously some endurance riding, some threshold riding, some over-under threshold riding, and they can also be specific cycling training sessions. But if you did them on your time trial bike, you're actually going to be better time trials because you're used to the position that you're riding in and the muscles work slightly different because you're on a different angle. So it's really important that you actually do spend time on the bike doing general cycling sessions and of course it's not ideal to ride your time trial bike in the mountains mm. but i do have some athletes who can do it mm. um, but i wouldn't be recommending that a specific bike for a specific uh, um, style of training but the more you can spend on the time trial bike i can't emphasize that enough the better time trials you'll be so to clarify that we don't repeat the same sessions within the week but we repeat the same sessions over a cycle of that's four right. Weeks or something. Yeah. So in each in each in any given week, we would want to do one threshold session. Yeah. And you can do that on your road bike in the mountains, or you can do that on your time trial bike uh, on a on a slight rise of a hill, or a trainer indoor trainer, or a flat bit of road, or a velodrome. Yeah. Um, you're still putting the same output, the same wattage. Um, so, but you're just doing it on the bike that you're going to race on. Yeah. Um, so, yes, we repeat the same sessions weekly, yeah. but not during the week do yeah. we repeat the same sessions. So you might do a, the same threshold session three weeks in a row, but you're not going to do that four times in one week. That's right, yeah. We certainly need to be uh, to be uh, testing other aspects of, um, of uh, the aerobic conditioning, anaerobic conditioning. Um, so generally speaking, you do want to be on the time trial bike more to get used to the position, to everything you just said. Uh, but if someone was looking for a, a number, and everyone's different, you can't give an exact number, but how many times would you want to be on the TT bike a week at least compared to just if you're going for a, for a bunch ride or um, any other stuff? I'm a bit biased because I would spend during the time trial season, um, for us it happens to be in winter, mm -hmm. um, I would spend probably out of seven days I would be on my time trial bike five, yep. five days out of seven. So on your recovery days, is it important to ride the time trial bike? It's actually a really good idea to ride the time trial bike on the recovery days just to get used to the position, get your body used to that position with no intensity. Um, the threshold days, um, the tempo days, the bunch ride, obviously you need to be on your road bike. Mm. The hills, you need to be on your road bike. So if you're doing one bunch ride and one hill ride, mm. there are two days where you need to be on your road bike. Yep. The other days, you can do the recovery days on your road bike, so there's four, mm. and the other three days, you should be on your TT bike. Yeah. But I'm doing recovery days and three days, which is five plus two road bike days. And that's even if you're indoor as well, correct? Yes, yeah. So. I'm, I'm riding a TT bike indoor yeah. for my uh, threshold sessions and for my over-under sessions. Yeah. Cool. So more specifically, when you're doing these over-under sessions, these hard sessions, what are the keys to that to make sure that you are 
you are getting really specific for the individual time trial event. Because yes, it's time trial season, so you're training for, most people assume if they're on the time trial bike, they're training for a time trial, but they might be doing it for just an ITT or an ITT as part of a tour or a championship. Yeah, so you've answered the question. It depends on what the event is. Is it an one alone, standalone time trial or is it part of a, of a tour? So if it's part of a tour, then you've got to work out is the over-under session, and that the second thing about that is what is the time trial course like? Has it got lots of steep climbs or is it pancake flat? So that'll determine what over-under session you're doing. So if you've got lots of little rolling hills, then you won't be riding above threshold much or below threshold. You'll be in that window between 95 to 105%. But if you're on a course that's got quite some steep hills, mm. you could be riding at 120% on the uphills and 50 or 60% on the downhills because yeah. they're so steep. So you would identify the course requirements, then appropriate training sessions to match that course. Yeah. So you would tweak it. So if the, the race that's coming up has got lots of little undulations that require me to ride 110, 120%, my over-under will have that in it. Yeah. So it's very specific. Yeah, absolutely. And don't underestimate understanding what the course requirements are. That is really crucial to working backwards to what the training is going to look like. The basic training session is there, but you can manipulate that to replicate the condition of the race. It's, you know, I guess that's something you've said uh, all along with time trials and you said at the start of this podcast that even though it's not a race there is so many factors involved so many things to think about tactically and yeah you can start with the actual course itself but there's a whole lot of things you have to consider yeah and look while we're on talking about the course the wind as well as the terrain they're the two elements that are crucial to the decisions that you make uh, as to what power you're going to ride throughout the ride and you know Knowing what your power number is, is is crucial, but knowing when to use it on that ride, on the hills, the downhills, the uphills, the headwind, the tailwind, etc. They're the decisions you have to make before you start that ride. Um, there is an app called Best Bike Split that does actually do that for you, breaks down um, the, the actual ride and the wind of that day, and it's, it's, it's quite a valuable tool if you wanted to really go specifically like that. And one of the things we do as a, as a coaching business is um, the event that you're doing, we have the information of what is the requirements from either Strava or from any of the apps that are available or from physically going and reconning the actual course, which we've done many times. Um, so we know how to go about the training sessions. Um, so, so knowing all of that information is kind of primary. That's the number one thing. So if you think about that, you start to think, wow, you can see a big disparity between the quality of training program if you're not thinking about all these things, you know? Yeah. Someone might be just doing a pretty general TT program, which will be way behind a person who is thinking about all these factors and doing this specific training for the exact course that they're training for. Uh, the example, uh, we just had our local state t titles and it was 50 to 80 kilometer an hour winds. And look, most people would think logically, oh, it's a time trial. I'll just go as hard as I can for as long as I can. But if you did that, 
you would actually get the worst outcome on a day where the conditions are extreme. If you did that on a day where it's calm and there's no hills, that would be actually nearly okay. But the minute things change, if you're not willing to adapt to it, you will get a really poor outcome. So if you start straight into a headwind or a crosswind and ride too slow and then turn around to the tailwind, the, the gains are in the hardest periods. And if you think that you're going to ride better in the tailwind, mm-hmm. think again. Because you can't ride as fast downhill um, as fast as you can uphill against people who are struggling. So everybody's going to ride similar speed with the tailwind or downhill. Yeah. The margins are minimal. But if you're struggling into an uphill or, or a headwind, the margins are great where it's hardest. Mm. So if you ride with the mentality of just going to ride as hard as I can the whole way without taking into the terrain or the wind, you're going to get a very average result. That's, that's a really, really big point. And before we get too much into the actual racing, because there's a lot to talk about about that, it's just highlighting the, the key point that if you're wanting to get the best out of yourself in the training program, you need to be thinking this specifically about your event and work backwards from there and create a training program and create sessions that are as close to identical as that as possible and they can't be generic. That's exactly right. There isn't two time trial courses that have been the same, unless it's repeated mm. the same course year after year, which it generally goes, the nationals go from state to state, so they're never repeating the same course and the requirements are completely different every year. So the person who's doing the most diligent um, reconnaissance is going to get the best result. And it's no coincidence that, you know, at the state titles, we pretty much won every race because we all knew the requirements um, and all our training was based around that. And the harder the wind blew, the better better it was for us um, because we had a plan to use in those conditions. Yeah. Yeah. So my next question was going to be what makes the difference in a training program, a sex, sex successful training program and a non-successful one. And I think you could answer it again, but you've kind of summed it up there. Yeah. Um, just being attention to detail about the specifics of what is going to happen on race day that is if you if you don't pay attention to that then you're just going to be like everybody else you're just going to go with the approach of whatever the the conditions are i'll just ride as hard as i can and and that logically sounds right but but unless it's as i said no wind and pancake flat i've never ridden on a day like that where there's no wind and it's pancake flat in 200 time trials I've done, I reckon I might have had one of those days mm. where it didn't matter. I was just going to ride the threshold for that period and, you know, didn't matter whether it was turning left or going up or back. That was the, the power was the power. But there, that doesn't exist mm. um, in a racing situation. So, so the less preparation you do, the worse the outcome. So from a coaching business point of view, we are – adamant about being as well prepared as we can and an example of that would be the nationals this year in Adelaide so we went to Adelaide and we've been over the course Mm. and come back with all that knowledge so that I can tell the athletes who are going to do that event what the requirements are and I give them the specific training sessions that relate to that course yeah absolutely so that's the training aspect side, which um, really is dictated by the actual race itself. So let's get into the race, preparing for the race, the lead up to the race, 
pretty much from the tapering period all the way through to the completion of the race. There's a lot to think about. Yeah, and look, you can go back a step too, George. Um, you know, how much time do you need to prepare for a nationals or a state title? Yeah. So we, we can talk about the tapering and the pre-race and stuff. That's really important. But but all of that is irrelevant if you haven't done what we just talked about, the work before. Mm. So how long do you need to prepare for a race? If you've got good general fitness, a 12-week program would be perfect to prepare you for a specific time trial if you've already got the fitness there from a really well-rounded training program. So I could use myself as an example. 12 weeks ago, I was not in very good time trial form. So we started to do specific stuff that was going to make me a better time trialer in this period. Um, And, of course, week one, my threshold might have been 270. And now week 12, it is 295. So we have done exactly what we want to do with all of our athletes trying to get the 8 to 12 weeks program, specific training, so they're progressing their FTP. Um, so the number is important, and if you ride to the wrong number on the day, uh, you're going to get the wrong result as well, no matter how well prepared you are. Um, and that is one of the problems with the best rider should win, but the best rider with the, with the smartest information will beat the other guy. So that's a massive factor, thinking about the races, knowing your numbers. and Yeah, the more information you can have, the better decision-making you can make throughout the ride. And... It's only 20, how many, 20 minutes. How many decisions do you have to make? Some of them are 30 minutes. You can't possibly make that many decisions, but every time you come to a rise, you've got to decide whether you're going to ride 105% of your threshold or 120 or 100 or 95. Every single next 20 metres, you're making another decision about what pressure should I be putting on the pedals. So if you have intimate knowledge of your power number then that decision making is so much easier if you don't really know what your number is it's just perceived exertion i'm feeling really good i'm going to go hard of course you're feeling good you're tapered it's the start of the race so you're going to actually destroy yourself Mm. because i felt but i felt so good well three quarters of the way through the ride when you feel like you've got a piano on your back it's too late the race is done Mm. so Power is to stop you from going too hard at the start, but it's also to enable you to understand what to ride uphill and downhill into the headwind and with the tailwind. So use it's like I think I used the example of the you know the Formula One is the elite of car racing. Yep. You've got you've got fifteen guys in a garage with computers all getting information from the car, the brakes, the tires, the speed, the aerodynamics, the lift, the mm. well. The information that's on your screen in front of your eyes, it's like the Grand, you know, the, the Formula One shed um, with all the experts. You've got that in front of you. And the more knowledgeable you are about your own information data, the better decisions you'll make. And, of course, you make better decisions to get better outcomes. Um, if you haven't got any information, it's like looking at a blank page. I, I can see numbers, but so what? Mm. I don't know what they mean. Yeah. Um, so... I really take uh, the numbers seriously and the athletes understanding their own numbers. It's not for me to know all their numbers. They need to know all their numbers, and that is really important. 
and I'm forever giving feedback and you've seen me sending off emails with all the data of their previous race, what their numbers were, what their heart rate was, what their time out was, what their, their, their power back was, their best 20 minutes, uh, their average speed, their average cadence, just reams of data that they can use to say, last time for a 24-minute ride, this is the number I rode to. Today's ride is going to be 28, so I need to be a little bit more conservative. So I might need to knock off a watt or two. So having all that information is gold to when you are so confident on the start line because you've got this bank of information that's in your brain and on your screen that you're going to execute with. And you can make a mistake still, but you're highly less likely to do that compared to the guy who has no idea who's just going to ride. As we said, we keep using that example, as hard as you can for as long as you can. Mm. And that's what people think time trialing is, and that's the big mistake. And I know your rule is you won't let any tri-battle athletes get to the start line not having a plan for their numbers. Yeah, yeah. And if, if you don't know what you're doing, that's, that's, that's like self-sabotage to me. Uh, you're preparing to fail. There is another side of that, though. You can you can freak out about the information and the data and use the data too much. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. And also the point that we were going to really hone in on is what happens if your power meter is not reading correctly? And it does happen uh, if it's not calibrated. And this has happened many times. The calibration has been 10% out. So you could actually be, if it's 10% higher, you're actually looking at numbers going, whoa, they're too high. So you pull back. And therefore, you're actually riding slower than you should be. Mm. Or if the number's too low, you're pushing harder than you should be because it's calibrated 10% lower. So it, it can actually affect your outcome if you rely too much on the data. We, we use it as a reference all the time. We still have to race the race. And, you know, the example of a 5K runner, you know, I know what the pace I should be running at, um, but there's two guys who are running one or two seconds quicker than me per K should I just let them go because I'm not allowed to go over this pace? Absolutely not. You run with those guys because they'll drag you to a, an improved um, personal best performance. Time trialing is the same, but there's a, a line where you can't cross. Mm. That's you know that's the feel of it. So, mm. well, I had, I had that exact experience five k run not long ago where I was looking at the wrong screen on my watch. And so I couldn't work out why it wasn't coming down my pace. And so I was pushing harder and harder and it wasn't coming down. It was because I was looking at the wrong yep. pace. And then I ended up blowing up after a K because I was running 20 seconds faster than my, yep. what my case should be. Yeah. And I just forgot to run and I was just looking at my watch. Yeah. And it, the data is dictating you. And we, mm. don't, we don't want that. As much as I've been really harping on about how important it is to know all this information, you could have a flat battery in your power meter at the start line or it's calibrated wrong or it's actually uh, the gut, your actual Garmin won't turn on. The, all these things have happened to me in time trials, mm. and you're standing there going, oh, shit, mm. what am I going to do? And I've done okay by riding to feel, but you just got such less information to make better decisions. And, you know, I've either got to the finish struggling or I've got to the finish with too much left, and both of those scenarios are not ideal. You'll... You want to execute the right numbers at the right time. So, so what do you do in that situation? Well, you have to just go by feel, not panic, and say, okay, I've got no cadence, I've got no heart rate, I've got no power, I don't even know what my average speed is. 
um, let's go ride to field. Um, but if some of the things aren't working, like power isn't working, but you've still got speed and cadence and heart rate, then you drop back to those three things. So you've got to, to use your brain in those panic situations. Um, I think I was telling you at the start line, I was in the big, I uh, should have been in the big chain ring, and I was in the small chain ring yeah. for some reason. I started and then I couldn't get it to change after 20 seconds and instant panic. How can I ride a time trial in a small chain ring? But just relax, let the bike, you know, chain, go over to the big chain ring and away we go. Yeah. So uh, not panicking in a lot of situations is, is really crucial. Um, uh, so, so having that information at the start line, uh, making sure everything's working before you get to the start yeah. line. So if your start time is 12 o'clock, you need to work backwards from that. And that's something we need to talk about. Yeah, well, that's, that's race day preparation. And yep. That starts, you always say, that starts the night before. Yep. So we talked about the training for to get to, you know, the 12 weeks out yep. and doing all the correct stuff and specifically training uh, more specifically for, for the time trial. But the week out or the two weeks out, we start to taper. That doesn't mean we stop riding. It means we do less volume and probably some higher intensity stuff, but not as long. So um, people just think, oh, the taper is an easy period. Well, it's actually, if you do that, you'll be asleep by the time you get to race day and uh, probably unlikely to perform very well. Mm. Everybody needs a different taper because everybody responds differently. But the general rule is that you reduce the volume, but keep the intensity going to a certain degree, not just ride easy the whole time. So that's an important aspect before you get to the you know the week out or two weeks out. Yeah. Um, going to the area if it's a hot area for I'll use the example of Kona for the Ironman. Yeah. People go there two or three days before the race. That's actually not giving you the best opportunity to acclimatize to the heat. I would be you know, and then they say, oh, but I needed two or three weeks after to have a holiday. <laughs> well, I would be saying, no, this is my big race. Let's go two or three weeks before, get acclimatized, and then leave straight away and get on with your life again. Mm. Um, getting used to whether it's too hot or too cold is really important. Um, and don't underestimate uh, the travel as well. So if you're driving to an event, if it's a long drive, go the night before so you're not spending eight hours in the car um, or fly the day before. Yeah. Um, so they're things that are really important just before the, the race. Um, the night before, you need to have all your equipment out. Um, have your, your shoes, your, your kit, your bike should be sparkling clean. Um, everything should be functioning, the gears. Get all that checked beforehand. That's all the important stuff, um, which people overlook. Yeah, but that stops you getting to the start line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you've got your race numbers already, which some, some competitions do, but some don't, some you have to get it on race day. So you need to allow more time before your warm-up to get to the registration, get your number on your kit, mm -hmm. and you need a transponder on your bike and a number on the back of your bike. That takes 15 minutes. Have you allowed for that? Mm -hmm. So your start time's 12 o'clock, like we talked about before. You work backwards. My warm-up should be minimum of 40 minutes, but I recommend to all of my guys that if they can, get there two hours before and ride the course if it's only a 20K or less or drive it if it's small. So you've already know, you already know the course, but you need to go and feel the wind conditions. That's the reason, plus it's a really good warm-up. You get to feel where the wind is yeah. and every angle of the course. And it could change throughout the day, but at least you've got a heads up yeah. from the start. Um, 
So you work backwards. So if I if I need to be starting my warm up and I've just had to ride the course, I need to be on the bike at quarter to eleven, and then ride for forty minutes to do the warm up. Get off. I've already got my number, all that stuff ready for my bike. So quarter to eleven is my riding time. So I need to get there by ten o'clock to make sure that I can get to registration. Get, you know, get the trainer set up so that everything's ready. My helmet, my shoes, um, my heart rate strap, all of that stuff needs to be all set up. And then I can then get on my bike, ride the, the course, then get off, get on my trainer, ride the time trial, uh, the, the pre-time trial uh, important uh, high-intensity ride that is very specific to the race to get you ready and we can talk about that if you want. Yeah, what is that? Because that's something that you you do specifically for a lot of the travel people. Yes. And encourage them to go high intensity. Yeah. So you can overcook yourself, which some of you guys have done. And a good example is if you do that warm-up in the sun um, on your trainer where there's no wind, you can actually overcook it mm. um, and get to the race and you're, you're pretty much done. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm recommending that you be in shade um, if it's a hot day. And if it's wet, be under shelter as well um, and have that all set up. So uh, so when you actually start the warm-up, you need to, if you've already ridden the course, you're, you've got the everything in your body is warm. So then you can start the, it's a, about a 20-minute um, to 28-minute to uh, actual, if you cut out the 10-minute warm-up in the normal warm-up, it becomes a 20-minute warm-up. Yeah. So you would do a bit of a ramp so that you're actually getting your heart rate to build a little bit as, as you're warming up. And then you would actually do two minutes over threshold. Um, so you do two minutes at 70, two minutes at 80, two minutes at 90, two minutes at 100 to 110. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of six minutes, eight minutes of, ooh, that's, that's kind of two or three minutes where you're riding at threshold, mm-hmm. race pace or more, which is absolutely perfect. Yeah. Have a recovery. And then one of the key things I do is give the guys three by 30 second efforts at 120 to 150%. Yeah in a really big gear. So they're really engaging their leg muscles, like a little mini weight session for 30 seconds. So they're riding way over their race pace with lots of recovery, two minutes in between. And that should finish about five minutes uh, before the end of your actual Mm warm-up. And then there should be five minutes before that to the start line. So that would be 10 minutes. Around 10 minutes before your race. Yep, so um, so you've got to get off your bike and get your, your race bike going. And if that, for some people that means putting the wheel back in, um, then that could take another two or three minutes and you've got to be very relaxed to do that. Mm-hmm. But why do we do those hard, high intense sessions? Because A, we want, to, we want to wake the body up so much that when it comes to the actual start of the race, whether it's an uphill start or, um, or a flat start, we, we are totally warmed up and we don't have to spend the first four or five minutes feeling like crap and then all of a sudden, oh, I'm feeling better now. You're already ready. The other main reason is if you ride way over threshold for a short period, when you start to ride at your race pace, it feels easy because you've done a couple of efforts mm. um, that are really hard. And you see that all over the world in different sports. You might see the footballers run out onto the ground and do some speed sprints and just so they don't injure themselves and so their body's ready for the first contact of the, of the game. They're kicking the footy. You know, this is all the same reasons why we warm up for a time trial. Yeah. So you do all this, you do all this preparation, you've given yourself the best chance of getting to the start line in the best condition possible, and then you've got to face all the different elements of the actual race, and that is all the information you're going to get, get be getting from your bike computer, so your power numbers, your speed, your heart rate, 
the conditions again that you've got to factor in and then also racing, so how you're feeling. Yeah, um, and you've summarised that really well. And and let's just take a recent time trial. Um, we started uh, into a straight headwind uphill. Mm-hmm. So what power am I going to ride at? Mm. And that would be a fair enough question to ask me if I was the, if I was an athlete and my coach was there. And I would have already taught you that the length of the hill or the length of it riding into the wind determines the power. So shorter periods of time, I'm talking 10 seconds, 20, 30 seconds, the percentage of against your threshold is high. Mm-hmm. It can be 110 to 120. Mm-hmm. The longer the period, say two minutes or four minutes, the percentage is lower. It might be 102%, 105 And as long as you understand that basic concept, you can make those decisions without even asking the coach. What happens when I get under the downhill? Do I keep trying as hard as I can at at threshold? No, you don't. Because why? On the uphill into the headwind, we're over threshold. You can't ride the whole race over threshold. Mm. That's what threshold is. Mm. That's your best. You Mm. can't ride the whole thing. So on the downhill, you're going to ride under threshold. Not because you want to, but because the hill won't allow you to push yeah. or the tailwind is too strong, you can't actually push enough power yeah. to keep up with the speed of the bike. Yeah. And that's why it's okay to ride over threshold in the hard bits and under so that it equals, yeah. e- equals itself out to hopefully 102% of your threshold, which means you've done a PB. Yeah. So if you ride at 90% downhill and 110 uphill and 100 in the flat, you're going to do the same time as yeah. as your previous. Yeah. But if you can actually ride maybe 112% on the uphill and 92 on the downhill and 102 on the flat, you'll end up with 102 or 3%, um, which will give you a PB. So executing yeah. the ride and understanding that gives you so much more information about, right, I should be, I should be doing this now. And if you go too conservative up the hill, and maybe maybe it's a short hill, but you only go 102%, um, you're not getting enough out of yourself because in the downhill you can't get any more. That's right. The max you can go is 90%. So yeah. yeah. You're going to be averaging 95%. Yeah, and the biggest gains are always in the hardest times. Mm. That's my number one golden rule. Okay, guys, the biggest gains, where it's hardest, headwind and uphill. Mm-hmm. The smallest gains, you can still gain in a tailwind and downhill if you're very aero and you can get the bike speed going fast, you yeah. can still gain, but they're marginal. You know, if, if everybody's doing 60Ks an hour, how hard do you have to pedal? How much effort do you have to exert to do 61? Mm. Whereas if, if you're going uphill at 20Ks an hour, if you put out 22Ks an hour, you'll get 30 seconds on someone by putting a little bit more effort into it. Yeah, yeah. The cadence is really important in what to ride and what you're used to riding. Everybody's cadence is different. And people overlook this aspect of time trialing. It is so important. I've got guys who ride best at 78 RPM. I've got guys who ride best at 100. And I'm not going to make them all ride at 90 because mm. that's not the right answer. What you time trial best at is where you should be, your cadence should be. Yeah. Your revs per minute should be what, what your experience is. We try to train people so that they get used to riding high cadence, which engages the cardio. Mm-hmm. But in a time trial, you definitely want to have a lower cadence to not get your cardio so into the red zone. Yeah. So times where you're going uphill, obviously you don't want to be grinding uphill because that's going to really sap the energy. Yeah. You want to spin more. When you're going downhill, to keep the cardio down, get it into a bigger gear. 
and try and gauge the strength. Also, going over the top of a hill, people think, I got to the top of the hill, my hill's done. Yeah. Well, no, the thing you've got to think about is the bike speed all the time. So if you can keep the bike speed and momentum going over the crest of the hill and on the downhill, and all of a sudden you feel the bike speed pick up, then that's the time you can actually have a little bit of a relax. Yeah. But I'm, you know, don't take that as a relaxing time. You should be no relaxing in a time trial. It's a time where you don't have to be riding at 110%. You can, it's okay to be riding at 95 again. And that's where you you say even in a lot of road races you put gaps into people over the crest because people switch off. Yeah, because they think it's done. Yeah. So um, you can imagine a time trial the same thing's happening. Yeah, and uh, look, all of the guys that we coach, it's drummed into them. You know, I'm standing on the start line if we're doing a trial. Don't forget, ride over the crest of the hill, get the bike speed up, and mm. then you can um, go back to your big, you know, your big chain ring and, and cadence. Yeah. Um, and that's the only time where you, where you can actually uh, have some sort of recovery time almost. Yeah. So that's, I mean, there's a lot to think about there with the physical side of the race in terms of your own ability and then understanding the data. What about the mental side of staying focused in the race and you know, things aren't always going to go according to plan and then getting the most out of yourself mentally? Yeah. Well, it is you against the clock. Yeah. But one of the things that gives you real confidence in, in the mental side is having all that information. You just feel so prepared. Yeah. And it's, Confidence, such a confidence booster. I know what my plan is, mm. and you can, you know, you can stand around before the race talking to some people, and you get an instant idea of they've got no idea what they're going to do. Whereas you've got a total, total plan. What power are you going to do? Everything about your day is planned. Mm. And these guys are rocking up late. They're panicking. Mm. They haven't warmed up properly. Their start times in two minutes. They're not even got their numbers on. They haven't. There's just so many things that it's, it's just chaos mm. and they ride like that. They get on the start line and they ride way too hard mm. and they just crawl home. Mm. And, geez, I hated that. Mm. And it's all to do with your mental preparedness and the physical preparedness, obviously. But, but you know, mentally being confident and happy and, and, yeah, just knowing that you've got a plan. Executing it takes a lot of effort because there's going to be hard times in the actual event where this is hurting me, but it's hurting everybody else as well at the same time. Am I going to be stronger than them right now? Well, that's the mental side of you. You need to actually be thinking like that. I hear some guys go, oh, I just drifted off. (laughs) What? How could you possibly be drifting off with all the information that I'm giving you? You should be saying, what is my cadence? Is this a hill? What's my power? Am I too high? What's my heart rate? You should be repeating those things every time the terrain changes. Is there a headwind? Is this a tailwind? Is this the hardest part? Jared says I should be riding hard when it's the hardest part. Am I riding hard or am I actually dawdling? There is no way you could be distracted or bored in a time trial. It's, it's just got so many seconds where everything counts. Mm. And the minute you stop concentrating is the minute you lose the race. Yeah. yeah. And you know that I've lost many races by one or two seconds. Yes. Yeah. And that could be going into the roundabout too slow. Yeah. Or, or not riding over the crest. And imagine if there's six turns in a race and you lose two seconds on all turn, all six turns and you lose the race by 12 seconds. That's an example of how important 
every aspect of cornering, riding over the hill, getting the bike speed up, every little segment counts towards mm. the, the outcome, the mm. end result. Yeah, there's a lot to think about there. And even, I mean, we won't go too much more into details, but you have a lot, there's a lot to cover and you also have a lot of little nuggets that um, are really important for people. One being, I know you always talk about at the start, one guy's just going gung-ho, but two, um, looking at your lap power straight away. Yeah, really good you brought that up, Jordan, because if you're trying to work out what your average lap power, so your average power for the whole ride is, just just, just use 200 watts. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to do 200 watts, when you start off, you're not doing 200 watts when you leave the start gate. You're trying to get your bike speed going, so it's going to be 400 watts or more, 500 watts for 10 seconds. Mm. So if you settle into your time trial position, you look down and your average says 350, mm. the coach has told me that's too high. What are you going to do? Slow down. Yeah. Well, no, if you slow down you're, and wait, to get, wait for it to get to 200, yeah. you could have lost the race there and then. Yeah. So to eliminate that out of your average, push lap after 15 seconds and you've reset, eliminated the start, which is... 450 watts for 10 seconds and then you're going to ride properly at your 200 watts Mm. for the next change which could be the turn and as soon as you get out of the turn you'll you'll lose five watts so if you don't push lap you will try and catch those five watts up again or ride too hard so keep pushing lap every time something changes and then you know that you're in the right uh, area of power that you should be they're little things that you should be doing throughout the race. Don't worry, and also you have your average power for the whole ride on your screen. So what your screen's showing is really important. Yeah, the, what the, you could have eight um, eight screens to, um, what would you call them, eight? Um, yeah, eight pieces of information. Yeah, eight, eight little squares on your screen. Yeah. You need to choose what those eight things are gonna be to give you some yeah. best information. Yeah, so lap power is really important. Um, you not knowing the distance of the race is probably the least important thing because you know the course you've already reconned it uh the time that you're taking yeah it's okay to know that because you think you might be riding around 29 minutes but you won't know that until you get to one minute to the end so that's a waste mm. so having cadence having your actual lap power having your instant power three seconds mm-hmm. so that you don't look down and see 500 watts mm-hmm. because lap power won't show that yeah so you need to have that on the screen as well. Yeah. Uh, heart rate, they're the, probably the four most important things. Yeah. Um, the other little things I would have is normalised, if it's normalised power, yeah. if it's a really undulating course, yeah. because the average won't, it won't take into consideration the downhills and the uphills, whereas normalised does. Yeah. Average power just tells you the raw data, mm. what, what you're averaging the whole ride, whereas normalised takes into consideration not pedalling as hard on the downhills and gives you a more accurate indication so I would have normalised and average power. Average power for the whole ride and lap power as you're going. So they're things that you really should have sorted out before yeah. you get to the start line. Yeah. There's a lot to think about. And I can only imagine if someone's never heard of this before that it would be a little bit scary to hear, <laughs> wow, this is what it really takes to... I just thought you ride as fast as you can yeah. <laughs> against the clock, Yeah. which is true. And... Some people might say I'm overcomplicating it, but I'm just giving you the best opportunity to execute. And we talked about this earlier. It doesn't matter whether you're doing a 180-kilometre Ironman or a 20-kilometre time trial or a 5K um, best effort. Mm. You have to manage the 5K 
the 20K and the 180K. You have to manage it according to the information you have. And if you don't respect that, that number that you've worked and trained towards, then you could have a really poor outcome. So, I mean, based on all that, you could say, I, was, I wanted to ask the question, what does it take to be successful? And Travelo has had multiple time trial national champions. And so you could say that you can't say you're overcomplicating it when the proof's in the pudding and yep. it's a winning formula. Yeah, and I, look, I definitely like to keep things simple. And our style of coaching is basic. But compared to other styles of coaching, it is so detailed. Um, but it's common sense. The basic things we're telling everybody, and there's lots of them, are common sense when you think about it. You know, oh, yeah, why, why wouldn't I have got rid of the start 15 seconds? Because mm. I'm going to ride for two minutes at the wrong power, mm. waiting for my number to drop. You know, that makes sense. But until someone tells you, you just don't know that information. Yeah. So so we have, we have experienced a, a lot of races to get this information and to to fine-tune it so that when our athletes get to the start line, we're giving them the best opportunity to get a really great result. And at the end of the day, that's what everybody wants. They want to – if you don't – the podium is, in, is, is part of the process, but the process is more important. Yeah. The outcome, doesn't matter whether you're kicking a footy for goal, if you concentrate on the actual process of the kick, the goal will come. If you concentrate on all the aspects of the time trial, the result will be there. And that doesn't mean it has to be first place. Yeah. A personal best performance is first place yeah. in our eyes. Yeah. And if you've come from 15th to 10th and you've ridden 10 watts better, half a kilometre an hour faster, I'm ecstatic. I'm more ecstatic probably than the guy who's on top of the podium because he's expected to win probably. Yeah. Um, so, so in our business, we're about not the podium. That's a result of all our work. We're about personal improvement, personal best, and executing a really great day's training. Um, and that's spot on. I mean, the Nationals are next week, and you'll be ecstatic if people execute the plan as best as they can, no matter what the result. Yeah, and the state time trials were exactly that. And it just so happened that we won most races. Um, and as I said to you earlier, the conditions suited us because the worse the conditions, the more important the plan and the structure and the strategy has to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a, that's a pretty good uh, spot to wrap it up on. Um, that's a lot to take in. I hope everyone's gotten a lot of value out of everything to do with the art of time trialing. I mean, there is a lot to think about. Hopefully, this can help them. If you do need more help, obviously, reach out to us. Um, we do coach people specifically for time trial events or time trialing as part of a triathlon. Is there anything else you'd like to add as, to finish off with for um, time trialers out there? Yeah, look, one of the things that's really important is that you won't nail it every time. Um, you will make mistakes, and they're the biggest learning days. Um, hopefully that's not your A race. Um, you've practiced enough and made enough mistakes along the way so that when you get to your A race, but, but be, be well aware that, you know, it takes 50 time trials to get one that's perfect. Um, it just doesn't happen. It, it, I've given you so much information to think about, it's confusing because what the hell am I thinking about? <laughs> but once you do race after race, practice exactly what we're talking about and get the routine going, follow the process, then you will get to a day where it will all work. And that day will be a fantastic experience. And that's what time trialing is all about. Yeah, perfect. So good luck to everyone that's competing at the Nationals next week. Uh, I hope to see a lot of you there. I hope to see a lot of um, tribal athletes there executing the plan as well. And 
any other time trial events coming up in the next 12 months. Hopefully this can help people execute uh, their race better. Yeah, looking forward to seeing uh, everybody uh, have a great day. Awesome. Well, that's it for this uh, episode of Tri-Velo Coaching Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you very much for listening.